Well, if you would, this morning, turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 8. Um, we come to uh, the, the call for a king from the nation of Israel, and um, I hope I can explain uh, the tension that is here as we move into it. Um, this obviously is a turning point in Old Testament history um, as the nation of Israel moves from the time period of the judges uh, to the monarchy. Um, and really, there's a contradiction, you might say, in the Old Testament, depending on which scriptures you look at and at what time period they're from. It's kind of a contradictory subject in some ways, this idea of Israel and a king. Um, because they're going to be rebuked in this text for this call for a king. Um, that's why we're going to consider this text, in a sense, as Israel's demand. They ask for something outside of the will of God. Um, and so there's a tension here. Now, let me try to give you a summation of what God's Word ultimately teaches, and, and maybe you can um, follow along with my, my brain here as we try to make sense of this. But uh, Genesis 17, 6, the Lord says, And I will make you exceedingly fruitful. This is part of the Abrahamic covenant speaking to Abraham. It says, I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. Uh, so clearly, from the very beginning, there were going to be kings involved with the descendants of Abraham. Um, not just Israel, but nations would be impacted by his lineage, and, and kings would come from them. So, um, and we know, biblically speaking, hopefully, every time I think of, or every time I reference the idea of a king, you know, we should be thinking of Jesus, okay? Um, that's the ultimate fulfillment of all the kings and all the promises of God, all right? So, uh, the idea of a king in and of itself is not a bad thing, okay? Um, from the beginning, that was mentioned, but. God always balanced that with some other admonitions, some other encouragements. And, and just from a, a theological perspective, we know uh, the Lord will reign forever and ever. Um, that's certainly speaking of His sovereignty and His control and authority. But also that was said specifically to Israel. God was always supposed to be the head of Israel. No man, no prophet, no priest, God and God alone. Okay, And so there is a tension here when you think of this idea of, of Israel demanding a king because God would say ultimately he is their king okay um, Leviticus 20 26 say you shall be holy to me for I the Lord am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine okay there should never be anyone that comes between God and the nation of Israel and we've got to know that from the frailty of man there's something about a people wanting a king that tends to put more authority and more power um, and more esteem into that man um, than uh, the nation does their relationship with God and so that's kind of the tension here and so the early law, as revealed to Israel, gave provision for a king. In a sense, it allowed it, but it didn't demand it, okay? God knew it was coming at some point, um, but he never said now is the time necessarily, uh, certainly prior to this text. Um, Deuteronomy 17 um, says, When you come to the land that your Lord God is giving you, you shall possess it, dwell in it, and then when you say, in a sense, and that's what we're coming to in this text, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. Okay, So there's kind of this balance that, um, yeah, Israel is going to have a king sooner or later, but they need to make sure um, that they choose God's man when they do so. 
And the problem we're going to see exposed in this text is um, they began to demand a king before God has raised up his man. Um, David, ultimately, I do believe, is God's choice of a king. David certainly finds his full fruition in Jesus Christ, the, the coming king, the one we celebrate at Christmas, of course. Um, but in this sense, they're getting out ahead of God, and they demand a king before um, God has made his will clear to them. Um, and even the king of Israel, there's a tension there. Um, if you move on a couple of verses from Deuteronomy 17, it says this about any king of Israel. It says, And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom... He shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Um, so even if they have a king, when they're given a king, God's choice, that king must always remain submitted to the leadership of God or, or this thing's going to go wrong, all right? That's kind of the tension, and I, I hope I've explained that well. Um, and we know that David is the answer to these prophecies. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of all these prophecies. But as we come to this text today, we see a scenario where the nation of Israel couldn't wait. Um, they want what God has said they're eventually going to get, and they want it now. Um, and so that's where we find ourselves as we move into 1 Samuel chapter 8. So now would be a good time. Why don't you stand with me at our reverence respect for the Word of God. And let's read our text for the day. Um, I hope that made sense and it sets up the tension here. Um, verse 1. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Verse 4, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. Verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they've not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. You may be seated. Now, as I said, I, I do believe Scripture gives permission for a king. Um, eventually, they're going to have a king, but I think the tension here is um, that they're demanding a king before it's time. Um, that's how I read that. Now, let's look at their logic, though, and, and make sure we understand where we are. Um, some 20 to 25 years have passed since last week's text where um, the, the ark had returned to the nation of Israel. They began to lament um, that the tabernacle was no longer in place and that the, their religious system wasn't flourishing. They had a national revival of repentance and, and return to the Lord. Now more time passes. 
and they begin to get nervous, I, I believe. Um, the Amorites have been peaceful in their midst. The Philistines haven't engaged in any new attacks, but I, I think they know their enemies are out there, they're alive and well, and sooner or later it's going to boil back up. Um, uh, of course, the, the last 350 years of their history, um, God has led the nation of Israel through judges. Um, we know that that cycle has seen good times and bad times, and um, some of those judges have certainly been better than others. Um, and so as a nation, they've kind of floundered during this time. Um, Samuel certainly has been good for them, and, and they're in a good place as we move into this text. But in general, this period of time has been difficult. Um, we've seen this summary statement of the judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, again, I don't believe that's a statement saying, oh, they need a king. I think that's a statement that they had a king. His name was Jehovah, and they weren't abiding by him. They were doing whatever they wanted and whenever they wanted to do it, and things didn't go real well, okay? And when God did provide for them a judge, a strong leader, they didn't always do real well under that leadership other either so they began to look out at the the nations around them and even their enemies um, and they saw strong kings among those peoples and they began to question why they did not have a king and really there are kind of three questions or concerns that grow as we look at this text specifically um, first we see a question of capability um, verse one when samuel became old he made his sons judges over israel now Clearly, the first issue is that Samuel, at least in the eyes of the nation, had grown old. Um, as close as we can come by um, looking at other scriptures and doing some guesswork, um, it, it appears likely that he's somewhere in his early 60s at this time. It's probably dependent upon, dependent upon your age whether you think that's old or not. Okay, um, They had decided he was old. Um, I, I might have used to think 60 was old, but now I think 60 is pretty young and spry, you know, the older I get. Um, anyway, it, what's interesting is that Scripture never says that he's too old, all right? Um, maybe he was frail for his age. Maybe his memory was slipping. I don't know, but Scripture never indicates that. In fact, um, Scripture doesn't support any concern over his age at this stage. We, we get a picture of a pretty active, capable man in, in just a few years after this, by the way. Um, 1 Samuel 15, Samuel speaking to King Agag, one of the wicked leaders of the Amorites. As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. I mean, right or wrong, you can't be too washed up if you can hack another man to death with a sword, Right? Anybody follow my logic on that? Um, it's probably beside the point, but I, I don't think he's old and washed up. And again, Scripture never says that. But the nation sees him, and they judge that he's getting old, and, and they believe, and I think rightly so, they know at some point or another, Samuel will kind of age out of leadership, and, and he'll need to be replaced. Obviously, if you remember the high priest, Eli had grown old and fat, and, and his leadership hadn't gone real well, and as he passed the, the priesthood on to his sons, that didn't go very well, okay? Now, there was a, a, a tradition, even precedent in Scripture, for a hereditary priesthood, uh, the line of Aaron, the Levites, or whatever. There was no such hereditary transition 
for judgeship. Um, we see Samuel moving to make his sons judges here, but that's not been done uh, among the judges in Israel's past. In fact, we see statements to the opposite. Um, Gideon, um, one of the early judges who had quite a bit of success, I, I believe expresses the heart of God here in this passage when the men of Israel approach him and basically say, um, you rule and then pass your rule to your sons. And it's moving really from judgeship to kingship in some ways. Um, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you've saved us from the hand of Midian. Uh, I think Gideon replies wisely when he says, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And again, whether they have a judge or a king or a democracy or a president or whatever else, I think we have to know that the biblical truth is God always intended to be the one who ruled over Israel. And I would say that's true of the church too, by the way. No matter how we're structured, no matter what our leadership looks like, no matter what our culture looks like, no matter what our government looks like, we as a people of God should look to God first and foremost as our ruler. Amen? Okay? And that takes a lot of pressure off of all the corrupt government officials we may have because they're not in charge, God is. Okay? That's the heart of this. And so um, the problem is that I think Gideon had it right for whatever reason, it seems that Samuel is at least contributing to these concerns by beginning to appoint his sons to serve as judges alongside him. Um, when in the past, God, as sovereign ruler of Israel, had always selected the judges. The right to rule in Israel was ultimately God's and God's alone. Again, whether there was a prophet, priest, judge, or king. And so uh, we see a concern about the capability of Samuel. He's getting old. And then the concern gets excuse me, worse by this issue regarding his sons, the corruption. Uh, the name of his firstborn son was Joel. The name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Um, Beersheba is far to the south. Um, Samuel, for the most part, kind of uh, ruled in the north. It's almost like he sent his sons um, down to the southern border to expand his leadership or um, his influence, you might say. Anyway, that's where Beersheba was. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. I do believe we see that, um, again, we never see any concerns expressed about Samuel's leadership or his parenting. I, I don't think he's responsible for this turn in his sons. Um, from birth, I think he tried to lead them rightly. Um, his first son's name, Joel, kind of loosely translated means the Lord is God. Um, Abijah, um, similarly, means my divine father is the Lord. Um, he, he names them names, I think, that are... are seeking to have them surrendered to the leadership of God their whole lives. Um, the text actually says his sons did not walk in his ways, which means I think his ways were right and godly and, and moving toward God. Well, they chose to go the other direction. Despite the example they were given, uh, they walked away. Okay, And so uh, we've got to understand um, there's no doubt that some parents do contribute to the moral failure of their children, um, but there's nothing in this text that implicates Samuel. Um, at the end of the day, all of our children have free will. They get to make their own moral decisions, and these two boys chose poorly. It says they turned aside after gain, and they took bribes um, and perverted justice. 
I don't think we have to do a survey of Scripture to understand that these things are all condemned numerous times by the Lord in the Old Testament. I'm certainly still wrong today. Um, Their sins appear to be somewhat different than the sins of Eli's sons who were more involved into sexual immorality and and, and adultery. Um, But this greed, materialism, um, injustice, it's just as wrong, okay? And again, Samuel has installed them in the south, Um, as judges alongside him, and it just doesn't go very well. And so I I would argue that maybe his age was not a a valid concern, but there's certainly no denying the corruption of his sons. They're a problem, okay? And and after 350 years, um, it's just curious to me. God's Word never overtly says yes, no, or maybe, um, but it seems strange that after 350 years, God had, had always sovereignly chosen the judges. Now we see Samuel choosing like a hereditary system um, and these boys are not following in his footsteps and um, this seems like a real problem okay but really even that is kind of a smokescreen for I think the real issue which is hanging over Israel's elders here and this is the idea of conformity it says in verses 4 and 5 then all the elders of Israel gathered together came to Samuel at Ramah um, and they give lip service to these first two things we just discussed um, behold you're too old <laughs> Uh, That can't be a lot of fun to hear that statement. Um, Your sons do not walk in your ways, okay? So they're worried about age and and corruption. Um, But then they say this, Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations, like all the nations. Now, um, before we completely condemn their worldly logic, and we're going to do some of that, um, let's at least give them credit for giving lip service to Samuel here. He's their judge at this time. He's been um, placed in authority by God. And they don't go out and sovereignly select a king without him. They come to Samuel and they say, Hey, um, you know, uh, as judge, we're asking that you appoint us a king. Um, You can say this is a request. Maybe it's a demand. It's a little hard to see. Um, But I'm going to give them credit for at least coming to Samuel. But I, I hope you see the contradiction in this. Um, they're rejecting Samuel's authority all while giving it lip service. You see that? Um, hey, we're tired of you, buddy, so give us somebody else to be in control. That, it's a little bit of a contradiction. Um, one way or the other, we, we know God put you in charge, but we have a demand for you. Give us a king. Um, now, as, as we've kind of surveyed here, we know that the law gives permission for a king Um, But it's not a requirement, and God certainly never says that this is his choice at this time. In fact, we're going to see a rebuke of the people. Um, I believe God had a plan for the nation. He had a king prepared for him. Uh, He hasn't even been born yet, I I do not believe, by timing. But I believe his name is David. Um, David is the the lesser um, foreshadowing of the greater Christ who is to come, I would believe. But they've decided on their own at this time that they've won a king. You can make a case. It's not a bad thing. I mean, it's a good thing, and and God's going to eventually bless it. Um, But it's kind of an example to us. Anybody in here, have you ever pursued something that just in terms of um, the concept in and of itself, it was a good thing, but you've pursued it perhaps at a time outside of when it was best? Um, Have you ever sought after something good, but you did it in such a bad way that you kind of blew it? Anybody follow my logic on that? Nobody? Okay. Well, I don't know. 
How about this example? I believe sex was created by God, and it is good, and it is a blessing to His children. But context matters, right? Uh, the, the act of sex matters in terms of uh, it's meant to be um, participated in inside a marital relationship. If you're pursuing sex outside of marriage, you're corrupting a good thing. Okay, Timing matters. Marriage would even be another example of that. Marriage is a good thing, but if you ignore God's plan and you choose someone outside of the will of God and or you get married when you shouldn't be getting married, you can make a mess of something good, right? Now, well, okay, a few of you follow me. And you're just nervous because you're married and you don't want to look around. Anyway, um, I don't know. I hope you get the picture. All right? We can do something good in an unhealthy way. All right? And a lot of our uh, mistakes in life actually come this way. I would argue that's what's happening here. Israel is not necessarily asking for a bad thing. It is permitted by God in the Old Testament, but they're suddenly asking for it at, at the timing of their choice, according to their preferences, and mostly because of the rest of the nations around them have a king, so why shouldn't we have a king? I'm just going to go out and say it this way. If you're looking around at the lost world around you and you want what they want, it's probably a bad request, okay? We just need to get that through our minds. God works differently than the lost world around us. God is supposed to be our ultimate authority. Again, in all of this, I think we're always supposed to be mindful. No matter who God has given you to have any authority in your life, ultimately the authority of God is the one you need to look to. All right, And I think Israel is forgetting this, and there's some shaky logic here. Uh, as theologian Bill Arnold has put it, they've grown weary of being unique. Suddenly they seek conformity and security. They no longer want to be a theocracy answerable to God, but they want a monarchy. Rather than God ruling, they want a man. But I, I hope, again, you see kind of the contradiction in their logic. They want to reject God's leadership, in a sense, uh, to choose a man... And part of the reason why is because Samuel was their judge, and he's a man, but he's getting old. And he had passed on leadership to his sons, and his sons were corrupt. So and we, don't, we don't need leaders like that. Give us somebody else. Do you understand how if you're looking to any man, whether it's your, your father or any woman, your mother, a president, a pastor. If you're looking for any man to be your ultimate authority, they're always going to have flaws. They're always going to struggle with sin. They're always going to let you down. There is only one to whom you can look who is flawless, altogether righteous, absolutely right in all that he does, and his name is Jesus. Okay? They're, they're wanting to get rid of one problem with man's leadership by selecting another man. And let me just tell you, you know, I don't want to speak out of turn, but it doesn't matter who's elected president. The next time we have a presidential election, we're still going to have all the problems we currently have. Amen? You're, I mean, if, if you think there's someone who can win, who can fix what's broken, you're mistaken because the reality is we need God to fix what's broken in our hearts. And it's bigger than one election. It's bigger than a whole passel load of elections. And, but that's what Israel was thinking. Well, just give us a man. Give us the right man and we'll be good. There is no such one unless you're looking to Jesus. There's no substitute for the righteous rule of God. 
And yet Israel begins to demand a king. And what they're thinking is, give us a king, give us a hereditary kingship, and we'll take the king and his sons and his sons and his sons after them, and that'll fix all of our problems. And yet we know our history. Israel and their kings don't go very well for very long, by the way. Um, even David, who I believe was God's choice and God's man, you go about one generation past David, you get past Solomon, and even during Solomon's life, it all goes haywire too because man is fallen and man tends to rebel against a holy God. And so only when man is rightly submitted to the Lord as the leader of his life that do we have any chance to get anything of value from that man. There's no substitute for the righteous rule of God. But Israel looked around at the nations around them, and they wanted what they had. And so we see this statement, we'll see it next week, that, that we may also be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And unfortunately, see, we know by history at this point in time, other nations didn't tend to just select a king or nominate a king or vote for a king or... Uh, they tended over time to believe that their kings were not just kings, but God themselves. They began to deify their kings. And I think Israel was going to move toward that very, very quickly. So it's also about idolatry here. Um, and, and even Israel as a people had already struggled with this idea of submitting to the leadership of a man. Um, Israel had been given Moses. Uh, God used Moses to bring him out of bondage in Egypt. And you remember what happened? Moses went up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, and the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and, and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. They, Moses is gone just a little too long and they decide to turn from his leadership and ask for someone new this is the cycle and even when things were going well they rejected Moses' leadership quite often they said to one another let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt following a man is never going to work out very well it hadn't worked out in their past it's not going to work out in their future unless that man was God's choice at God's timing and even then, guess what? The nation didn't accept Jesus particularly well, by the way. And that's, again, the one whom all this finds its fulfillment in. And Jesus himself, in tearing a parable in the New Testament, told us what was going to happen. His citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. They rejected him. Why? Because Jesus wasn't going to give them what they wanted when they wanted it. But he came, he had a spiritual kingdom. He, he came to um, pay for their sins. He came to do things unlike the earthly king that they were demanding, and so they rejected him. And it's easy to pick on Israel, but let's make this personal, friends. How, how about you and me? Who is the ultimate authority in our lives? Is it Jehovah God? Is it King Jesus? Or is it um, some earthly king, a president, whoever it may be? Who is ultimately governing our hearts? Um, Romans 12, I appear to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Um, God has to be in control. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There is no perfect man uh, to rule and reign over us. Uh, only Christ is worthy of that title. Now, ultimately, though, most of us, uh, we're not going to trust the rule and reign of our life to anybody else. 
we're going to trust ourselves. It's me and me alone, um, which becomes a meocracy, you might say. We put ourselves on the throne of our lives. And, and even that ends in failure because here's the reality. You and I, every single one of us, we have a sin problem. Um, it, it's destroying us from the inside out. And that, that sin problem has to be dealt with. And only one man, uh, God, man in the flesh, only Christ can deal with that problem. Um, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we need to understand, I, I believe this text is trying to help us see again that, that no man can fix our, our deepest problems. No king, no politician, no president, um, even we ourselves cannot fix what's really broken in us. We need a Savior and His name is Jesus Christ. And he purchased us freedom from our sins by dying on the cross. So we kind of have to ask ourselves again, do, do we know him personally? Have we trusted in his shed blood? Are we saved, redeemed, and forgiven? And then, going that step further that I think this text is pushing us toward, are we then willing to allow him to be Lord of our lives? Is he ultimately in authority? Israel here was rejecting God's leadership in their lives, and, and it's a sobering reality, and, and I think it's clearly stated here that Samuel knew it. And so we finish with the idea of, of the lamentation. Um, now, uh, it's worth remembering the precedent as we come to this point in Israel's history. Uh, the nation's elders approach Samuel and say, we have an idea. The last overt idea we see them coming up with was the idea that as they go out to battle the Philistines, because it hasn't gone real well, we'll run back and get the ark and bring it out as a, as a prop and, and see if it'll help us win this battle. So their ideas have not been good uh, over the last you know, 40 to 50 years. Um, and this idea, again, is, is not God's timing. Um, I, I think we can safely assume that Samuel's heartbroken um, by the request or the demand, however you want to categorize it. Um, it's not initiated by God, and it's not going to end well. Uh, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he's chosen as his heritage. Um, I think we're going to see that play out here. And again, I would tell you, we need to be mindful of this as a people until the principles of God are being used to direct our nation. We're not going to dig out of the pit that we're, we're currently still digging deeper right now. Um, and again, this situation is very personal to Samuel. Um, because the wickedness of his sons and even his own age is a part of the, the drama. Um, he's being rejected as leader. Um, but look at his next step. And um, we see his prayer here. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. Samuel prayed to the Lord. You might could argue you see his flesh a little bit in that it's displeasing to him. Um, but I think God is also displeased. So I, I don't think this is anything wrong on his um, behalf. I think, again, it's personal. It hurts. Um, he's being rejected on, on many levels, even though his sons deserve that criticism. Um, he's being told that he's old. He's being told uh, that we no longer need you. We want a king. Um, but he doesn't really react in the flesh, in my opinion. Instead, he takes it to the Lord in prayer. 
um, which is a wise step when you have your toes stepped on. Um, and I think it's indicative of his manner of, of living and leading Israel. Um, we'll see it again in just a few chapters. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord um, by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Um, whenever he's squeezed, he runs back to the Lord and he prays. Um, it's a shame, by the way, that that's not Israel's response um, whenever they're squeezed. Um, uh, but uh, Exodus 19, I think, is a, a vivid picture that um, this is not God's plan and this is not going to go well. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. That's the kind of relationship Israel should have with their holy God. But that's not what we're seeing in this, in this point in the text. They want a man. Um, they want a, a man now. Um, again, I believe God had already planned David at this point, um, but they want a king. They want him at this particular time. And the reality is sometimes when you demand something from God, even though it's not his best, he may give you what you're asking for. And I would argue that's not always a good thing. Um, Psalm 106, we've seen this with Israel's history. Now they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God of the test in the desert. He gave them what they asked, but sent a wasting disease among them. That's what we're going to see here. God grants them what they ask. And so we see God's permission in verses 7 and 8. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they've not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they've done, from the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they're also doing to you. Basically, God says, Samuel, this is not... I know it may feel personal to you, but really they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And then God even goes further and says, this is pretty much how they always behave. That's, that's how I read this. According to all the deeds that they've done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, they've been doing this generation by generation by generation over the last 350 years. This is no surprise. I think his first words here, though, are the most chilling. He says, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. Give them what they want. Friends, let me ask you again. Where would you be if God gave you what you wanted? You may say, well, that, that would work out. That would be great. I, just, if God would just do what I want him to do. But see, what I'm trying to help you understand is... We don't always ask for what's best or what's right in its own time. We need to learn that God is sovereign, that He is in control, and we should only want God's best for our lives at His timing, His purpose, His plan. We've got to learn to trust Him and look to Him as, as having that ultimate authority in our lives. Israel's not doing this here. Uh, they're, they're outside of the will of God. They're demanding something before it's time. And again, God is reassuring Samuel um, in his personal pain, I think, again, that this shouldn't be personal to him. They're rejecting God, not Samuel. Um, and ultimately, uh, if Israel doesn't want God to rule over them, they're not going to want God's servant to rule over them. Uh, this is just truth. Uh, John MacArthur said people who reject God's sovereignty and lordship will also reject those who serve him. It's probably one of the reasons why godly people can no longer get elected in, in our country to some degree, I would argue. But anyway, um, the rejection of biblical authority is a slippery slope that never really stops. 
If you want to rule your own life, God may let you do so. But you're going to reap the whirlwind when he does. And that's what we finish with this morning. We see Israel's price. Verse 9. Now then obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and, and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Solemnly warn them is really a legal expression in the Hebrew. It, it implies um, giving full testimony, helping someone understand the, the full knowledge of an action that's about to be undertaken, swearing them to it in a sense. Um, Israel, again, is about to get what they want, um, but God's going to do them the favor of making sure they understand exactly what the cost is going to be. So he says, show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. There were certainly customs of kings in their day, um, expectations, structure to monarchies, uh, implying, I would argue, military drafts, taxation, governmental seizure of property, citizenry, uh, limits on freedom. See, we've got to understand, this was a, a loose confederation of tribes at this point. God was in control. He gave them a judge. They functioned with some priests involved. But they didn't have a, a, a full-scale organized government. Nobody was taxing them. Uh, nobody was uh, pronouncing government domain and um, forfeiting their land and, and taking it away from them. Nobody was telling them what they could and couldn't do. There was. I hope you understand that we would probably be better... Well, y'all probably won't forgive me for this, but I, I wish our government was smaller, not bigger. I, I, I wish our government would stay within its confines and not try to step where only God should be stepping. I, I wish our government um, would only do what God intends for it to do, and, and God would be its ultimate authority. You know what? I'd feel a whole lot better about democracy if God was in charge of it. Anybody follow me on this? Now, I, I believe a day is coming when Christ is going to be king and sin is going to be defeated and, and it's going to function the way it's supposed to function. But if you think America's functioning the way it's supposed to function under God, I'm not sure. Well, you certainly aren't reading the headlines, okay? We don't want more of man. We want less of man and we want more of God. And if we've put anyone or anything on the throne of our lives other than God himself, we're going to reap the whirlwind. It's not if, but when. It's not going to end well. And that's what Israel is about to experience. And so by way of wrapping up as our musicians come, let me just say this. I believe Romans 1.28 could apply to them at this time, but it also could apply to us now. Um, if we do not see fit to acknowledge God as first and foremost, as authority, um, Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our life, if we do not see fit to acknowledge Him, God will give us up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. I think, did I just go out? I really think I did. I'll speak really loud. God will give us up to our, our own fleshly instincts. We will reap what we're sowing. And so the, the reality, I think, did it kick back in? All right. The reality is we need to learn from Israel's mistakes. Let us rejoice that we can see so clearly what they could not yet see, that, that God had a king for his people. It, it wasn't the king they're about to get at their demand. No, God had a king, a perfect king a righteous king, a king willing to die for them, a king who's defeated death, hell, and the grave. His name, ultimately, is not even David, it's King Jesus. He is the only king that any of us need, and may we worship him and him alone today. Would you stand with me, and let's respond to him.